Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology, and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Markus Weibel from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems at the EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. In today's episode, we'll be talking to Terry Fong, who's the leader of the Intelligent Robotics Group at the NASA Ames Research Center in California. Dr. Fong is mainly known for his work in human-robot interactions and for what is known as collaborative control, allowing the human to serve as an information resource for robots. Today we'll be talking to him about his current research project, the Peer-to-Peer Human-Robot Interaction Project. Its goal is to allow real-time coordination and collaboration between robots and humans as partners. Hi, Terry. Welcome to Talking Robots. Hi, Marcus. You're leading a NASA research project on human-robot teams. What's the main motivation of that project? Well, the, the future of space exploration uh, is going to depend very largely on humans and robots uh, working together. Uh, so NASA, over the past few years, has really started trying to collaborate with universities and, and other government agencies to uh, develop new tools and techniques to make human-robot teams possible. Um, the current work that I'm doing is a project called the Peer-to-Peer Human-Robot Interaction Project. Um, in this project, we use the term peer not because we expect robots to, to be our equals, but to emphasize what we believe is really key, what is, uh, what's really important. And that's the idea that robots should be more than just simple tools. Uh, robots need to work safely as teammates. They need to work in partnership with humans. Uh, so that's the peer part. The other part of the, the, the title, the interaction, means that we're studying how humans and robots can work together to support one another. Um, you might think, uh, why is this important? Well, simply because we believe that, that autonomy will always have limits, just as humans, who are probably the most autonomous uh, systems around, uh, still have limits. So rather than just try to create robots uh, that operate completely independently and that will ultimately fail or stop working when their, their own built-in autonomy reaches its limits, we're trying to develop uh, techniques, so software tools, um, standards of operation that help robots and humans support one another so that they can overcome the limits uh, of both of them and work much better as a team. So you're talking about a team. Can you give us a typical scenario? How does this actually work? Um, well, one, one thing that we did is uh, last November, we conducted a series of tests here at NASA Ames in California, uh, simulating a construction team working on the surface of the moon. Um, in our test, we had five different team members, and they were all working simultaneously. One was a person who, who remotely supported the construction team from inside a, a lunar habitat mock-up. Uh, two other people were wearing spacesuits, performing the roles of EVA astronauts uh, outside working on the surface, and their jobs were to assemble panels onto a frame. Um, a third member was a humanoid robot from the uh, actually I guess the fourth member was a humanoid robot from the Johnson Space Center called Robonaut. Uh, Robonaut worked as a seam welder uh, and was responsible for putting those panels together. The fifth member of the team was uh, the K-10 rover um, from my group at, at NASA Ames. And K-10 was responsible for coming along after Robonaut and inspecting those welded seams. So the real challenge here was finding ways to allow all five members of this team to work well together. And in particular, we wanted ways to investigate ways that humans and robots could support one another. So, for example, um, if a human has a problem um, while he's doing a certain task, such as putting a panel up because he, he can't quite see the, the mount point, what we were trying to do is allow the human to ask the robot for help. So the human might say, hey, come over here, shine a light to, to my left so I can see uh, what's going on. Um, and similarly, we also wanted to 
find ways to allow humans to support the robots when they were operating. So if uh, K10, for example, had problems determining if a weld was good or bad, uh, we gave it the ability to ask an astronaut whether that's somebody who's nearby or an astronaut who is in the habitat and is remote um, to give it advice on whether or not uh, the weld was bad. And so in this way, we're really trying to emphasize how humans and robots could support one another when they're working together to perform a very specific task. So you talked about a construction team now, uh, and I imagine there's actually a lot of other tasks that would be interesting to do as well. Uh, are you developing for a specific hardware platform, or could you also apply your research to, say, a swarm of robots or something else? Well, so I mean, the, our, our approach here, and this is the reason we call this peer-to-peer human-robot interaction, is that we're really trying to develop techniques and tools, software tools in particular, that allow human-robot teams to better interact. Um, so the work that we're doing is not specific just to, say, uh, lunar construction. In fact, this sort of work, uh, the types of things that we're interested in, can apply to a wide range of, of problems, a wide range of applications, basically anything that involves uh, task-oriented work. So if you have uh, humans and robots working together, just like humans work together on work crews, um, the types of things that we've been investigating will equally apply. So you can think of this as being very useful for doing any sort of any sort of job, any sort of application, where normally when humans work together, they they collaborate, they they ask each other questions, they support one another. We can do the exact same sort of thing uh, when humans and robots work together. Can you share some of your uh, some of your experiences with such mixed human robot teams? Well, one of the interesting things that we've discovered over the past uh, couple of years working in this area is that as you make robots more and more like human partners, you discover some of the same challenges that you, you have when humans work together. So, for example, if, if I'm working with you and uh, we're doing a, a task together, you know, I have to understand when it's important uh, to interrupt you and say, hey, I need help, and when it's important not to interrupt you because you're very busy. Um, you know, try to decide when it's, when it's the right time to talk to somebody and how you talk to somebody is something that's very, very challenging. And you find that if you make robots more like human partners, um, that you have the same sort of problems, that robots have to also be aware of, hey, this is a good time to, to talk to somebody, and if I'm going to talk to them, how do I talk to them? Um, you know, in the previous example, when I was talking about the tests we were doing at, at Ames, where you had a robot that was trying to determine if a weld was good or bad, if it was talking to a human that was next to it, it might just talk to the human uh, using speech. But if it's trying to talk to somebody who's far away, well, maybe I'll need to send an, an, an image taken by a camera on board the robot. So it really depends um, on the relationship in terms of uh, where the human and robot are. Um, and that's just the same way that humans uh, talk and communicate uh, depending on their relationship. So you talk about making humans and robots uh, partners but at the same time, humans and robots live in very, very different worlds. I mean, we have eyes and ears and are really at ease with all sorts of visual input, audio processing. And robots, they have infrared sensors and sonar sensors, laser range finders, and they're really at ease at mathematical tasks like reconstructing environments using some complex abstract calculations. And we, we have the, like a slow parallel, parallel analog brain where they have a, a, typically a sequential digital CPU. How can communication between such really different partners work well, that's a real challenge. Uh, one of the big things, as you point out, is that humans and robots view the world very differently. Um, and that um, is, is not just one thing that's, that's different between human and robots. In fact, one of the other things is that human and robots 
act differently in the world. So one of the big challenges uh, that we have been trying to address is how to make robots more human compatible. And one way of doing this is trying to develop what we call human traits for robots. Um, spatial reasoning and language, for example, are very important skills that humans use and that we believe a, a robot should have too. Um, if you look at most current robots, most uh, robots that are, that are, whether they're in uh, an industrial setting or if they're used for, for space exploration, those robots need to be uh, remotely operated or given very precise directions and coordinates, uh, you know, 3D coordinates, uh, orientation to perform the work that they're doing. So in our project, one of the things we're trying to do is give robots the ability to understand and use spatial language. So, for example, uh, if a human is having some trouble seeing while working on, on a structure, looking at a panel, he might uh, say to a robot, come over to my left and shine a light on top of the panel that's in front of me. Um, this uses a lot of spatial language. It's the kind of language that humans use when we work together. Um, and we believe if we can give robots the ability to have um, understanding and comprehension of, of this kind of language, that they become more human compatible and therefore easier to use. So if I understand correctly, the goal of, of this project is to go beyond using robots as, as mere tools and to really treat them as partners with a, a complementary set of skills. Uh, do you think that today's robots are already ready for this? And isn't there a risk that, you know, considering today's robots as partners will create more problems than it actually solves? Well, one of the interesting things that happens whenever a robot is part of a team uh, and part of a human team is that people will always uh, attribute human characteristics to it. I mean, this happens regardless of whether or not the robot looks human, whether or not it's autonomous or remotely operated. I mean, if you look at the robots that were used uh, after September 11th uh, for doing disaster response, those were wheeled robots. They had camera systems and lights on them. They were mostly teleoperated. But what was fascinating is that the response teams that worked with them in the field immediately began treating them as human, even though they knew that they were being remotely operated and there was actually another human at the remote end. So if humans are going to treat uh, robots like humans anyway, we need to find ways to make them more human compatible, as I mentioned. And we believe that the way to do this, the proper way to do this, is try to make uh, human and robot interaction uh, more focused on what the team needs, so more focused on on having humans and robots really function as partners. So you think there really can be a, a, such a thing as a balanced partnerships between a room, uh, humans and robots? And do you think we would be at ease with, uh, or most people would be at ease with uh, such a partnership, treating a well, robot as a human? You know, I, I don't know if human-robot relationships will ever be truly peer-to-peer, uh, -peer, that there'll be ever uh, a truly completely balanced relationship. But I don't, I don't think that's a problem if we never get to that point. I think that if just by balancing the relationship a little bit, by trying to make the human-robot team uh, function better um, so that human and robots can be more partners, even if the, the, the human is, is, and robot are not, are not equals, then we can still make the team overall more effective and more productive. And I think if we do that, then we've really accomplished something. Let's talk a little bit about uh, applications. Are there any uh, applications beyond the research uh, that you're doing in space exploration, obviously? Well, you know, a lot of the things that we as humans do is task-oriented. Uh, when we go out and work, we, we have a specific goal in mind. Uh, when, when we try to tackle a problem, there's a specific approach we want to take. And when we do these tasks and we uh, do our work in teams, uh, that's all very task-centric, very task-focused. And for all sorts of tasks like that, all sorts of applications and jobs like that, we believe the human-robot teams can function 
you know, maybe not as well as human-only teams, but certainly can function much better if we try to make the team uh, the focus. So if you look at various applications, such as, uh, say, uh, inspection, um, whether that's uh, uh, looking at your car or inspecting uh, around a house, uh, surveillance, um, perhaps uh, search and rescue, uh, or even things such as uh, giving uh, tours, whether it's in a museum or in a factory, those things are very task-oriented, very goal-oriented. And for those situations, we think that the humans and robots can really work well together. So basically, a step would apply to a, to a lot of things, actually. Yeah, we, we believe so. I mean, as I said, you know, a lot of what we do as humans is task-oriented. Now, there are also things that are not task-oriented, a lot of things that we as humans do that are very social. Um, but obviously, for those things that are really focused on achieving a specific goal, we think that uh, humans and robots can work well as a team, even if those human-robot teams are not balanced at a, at a peer level. Um, but if they're focused on working together um, in partnership, we think that we can still achieve a lot more um, than we can if the, the robots are just working by themselves. Okay. Uh, you're working uh, at NASA, so I have a question. How long will it take till we see the first human-robot teams on the moon? Well, um, if you remember back in January of 2004, NASA established a, a new long-term exploration program uh, to explore space. And this was called the Vision for, for Space Exploration. Uh, the primary goal of this program uh, is to establish a sustained human presence in space. And the start of that is a, a series of robotic missions to the moon, the first of which is going to launch uh, in 2008, followed hopefully by human expeditions to the moon within the next uh, 15 years or so. Um, so I certainly expect that the first human-robot teams will be operating on the moon in, uh, say, around the, the year 2020. Okay, that's a nice prediction. So let's talk a bit more about the future now. Uh, where do you see the big goals in building human-robot teams for the next 20 years or so? Oh, well, I think by far the biggest challenge is making human-robot interaction uh, transparent, uh, fluid, efficient. That is, making humans and robots uh, able to understand one another, able to communicate better to each other. And to do this, I think it really requires two things. The first is that the robots have to be given the ability, uh, the capability to be more human-aware. Um, That is, uh, not just detecting humans as obstacles like so many robots uh, are limited to today, but really understanding that, okay, the thing in front of me is not just a, a thing in my way, but actually it's a human. And because it's a human, that means that I need to communicate with it. And because I need to communicate with it, that means I need to understand, well, who am I talking to? How do I talk to it or him or her? Um, do, is this somebody that I've seen before? So um, we have a certain relationship and so a certain experience, expectation. That's the first part. The second part is really, as I mentioned before, developing human traits for robots so that robots are more understandable and more predictable by humans so that we as humans, when we're working with robots, can better understand how to talk to the robot, can better talk to the robot in a way that for us is effective and is, is natural. Those are the two things that I think are really important for making human-robot interaction um, better over the next 20 years. And moving to robotics in, in general now, uh, can you give us a prediction of which fields you think in robotics are the most promising technologically? Well, you know, it's been said for a long time that, that robots are best suited for performing tasks um, that are dull, dirty, dangerous. Um, there are a lot of those tasks that still may be done. And the question is, What things do you really need to make robots perform those tasks better? Um, I think by far the, the most important thing is, is better sensors. 
So if we can make a sensor that allows a robot to function better around humans because it's able to detect that there's a human uh, close by, um, if we can make a sensor that allows a robot to better perform a task um, that's a very task-specific sensor, I think that's extremely useful. And if we can do that, then we can really have robots um, function in applications, function in areas that uh, they're, function they're, they're working in now, but they could do a lot more. And by better, you mean better sense? You mean faster, more accurate, or more specific? Or I think uh, all of those things. Um, we 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 need sensors, for example, that are they're able to determine. Uh, you know, if we were talking about humans and robots working together, we need sensors that are able to determine where a human is, what the human is doing, um, and we need to be able to do this quickly and precisely, so that the robot is able to react uh, more quickly and more precisely. Okay, one last question. Uh, 20 years from now, in which fields do you think will robotics have had the biggest impacts, biggest impact in our lives? I think that uh, 20 years from now, we'll look back and uh, we'll be actually surprised because most of the people these days think robots, they'll be useful in, in the home, they'll be useful for medicine, they'll be useful for, for military purposes, they'll be useful for planetary exploration. And I think we're really surprised that the area that robotics have had the biggest impact is really in the area of education. Um, and I say this because in many Western countries, uh, the United States, France, Switzerland, uh, there are not nearly enough students these days that are pursuing engineering, um, not nearly enough students that are pursuing uh, science. And I think one way of, of really enticing these students and getting them motivated and interested in uh, engineering and science is through robotics, because robotics is very exciting. It's very multidisciplinary. It's uh, a way that you can interact um, with the world. There are a lot of interesting challenges in it, and it's something that I think is really going to help us improve education over the next 20 years. And so when we look back, you know, in my mind, robotics is going to be something that really helps us improve education. Very interesting prediction. So thank you very, very much, Terry, for joining us here on Talking Robots. Sure, it's my pleasure. Uh, it's been great fun, and I'd love to do it again. This concludes our episode with Terry Fong from the Intelligent Robotics Group at the NASA Ames Research Center. I'm Marcus Weibel. Thanks for listening. Talking Robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.ch. <laughs>